Well, good morning, y'all. If you chose to be here in the room this morning, uh, thanks for being here. It's really good to be together. And if you chose to join us online, I get it. Okay. As I was driving here this morning, I drive a kind of old Honda Civic, and I love it. But as I was driving this morning, I realized it's like only two shades north of a go-kart. So, you know. Uh, my name is Bradley. I'm on staff here at Orchard with the worship and teaching teams. And as we get started this morning, I have a question for us to ponder together. Okay, think about this for a second. What does the inside of your brain look like? I asked a friend this question recently and realized I worded it wrong because his response was, I think grayish, kind of squishy, and honestly pretty gross. And I was like, that's not what I mean. I'm not asking what a cross-section of a human brain looks like. I'm talking about your mind, the place where your thoughts happen. What does that look like? I had this discussion with a group of young adults from BASIC recently, and the answers were pretty interesting and also pretty different. One person said the inside of their mind was like a room full of filing cabinets. She had to search through the drawers to see what she needed. Someone else said that their mind was like a swarm of hornets, which is terrifying. Another person said their mind looks like a plate of spaghetti. But there was one answer that night that really stuck out to me. This young adult said that his mind looks like an empty room where he stands alone, just talking to himself. And as soon as he said this, I was like, yep, that's me. Anyone else find themselves alone in that room kind of often? No joke, I was changing my two-year-old's diaper recently, and I found myself in this room, completely lost in my own thoughts. And he must have seen, like, the glazed look in my eye or something, because halfway through changing his diaper, I hear this tiny voice say, hi, daddy, and it actually made me jump. I had no idea I was lost in my thoughts. But if we're honest... This room in our minds is not always the best place to be, is it? We're not always our own best friend. I read a study recently that said the average person has anywhere between 12,000 and 75,000 thoughts every single day. And the study estimates that around 75% of our thoughts tend to be negative. And 95% of our thoughts tend to be repetitive. They happen over and over again. Have you ever felt kind of trapped all alone in that room in your mind? Have you ever wished you could just stop thinking about that thing that makes you angry or that worry or that regret? Have you ever felt like no one can really be in that room in your mind with you because no one really understands what it's like to be you. It's easy for us to find ourselves standing in the empty room of our minds, replaying these one-sided, often anxious, and sometimes downright destructive conversations over and over again, all by ourselves. But here's the real question. What would change for you and for me if we realized that we weren't actually alone in that room in our minds? What would change? This January, we are spending some time together looking at John chapter 15. And this chapter actually falls in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, his closest friends. And scholars have given this conversation the very stuffy name of the farewell discourse. Sounds very official. Some of you might be familiar with the concept of the Iowa goodbye, especially if you had some holiday gatherings recently. 
This is like a 33-step process that starts when somebody says, well, we better get going, and like two hours later, you've made it to your car gasping for breath. Well, here's the truth, if you can believe it. The Iowa goodbye, it doesn't hold a candle to Jesus' farewell discourse. This thing is almost four chapters long, and unfortunately, it starts with what the disciples probably saw as the biggest letdown in human history. Jesus begins by telling his friends that he was going to die, and they were going to be on their own. These people had spent the last three years with Jesus. They traveled together, they lived together, they ate together. They experienced Jesus' power and love and kindness. They saw Jesus perform miracles, and they knew that Jesus wasn't just a good rabbi, but Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah. Jesus' friends bet their entire lives on him, and now everything was about to change. Jesus was going away. And he said his friends would search for him, but they couldn't come where he was going. Can you imagine the interior of their minds? Where is Jesus going? Why can't we come with? Why would he only reveal himself to us and not the whole world? Do we really have to do this next part alone? What are we supposed to do now? And in John 15, Jesus is not only informing his friends of what's going to happen. He's also equipping them with what they're going to need to continue. And much of what he says boils down to one word. Jesus uses this word 12 times in this one chapter. The word is remain. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. The Greek word for remain is meno, which means to stay close, both physically and relationally. So this word is both an instruction and also a promise. Jesus, what are we supposed to do now? Remain in me. Stay close. Maintain our relationship, and I promise I will stay close to you. It's kind of a simple answer. It probably felt a little too simple. It was probably actually confusing for the disciples to hear Jesus say that right after he said he was going away and they couldn't come with. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he never offers an instruction without also promising Away. Jesus never offers an instruction without also promising a way, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus tells us about the way to remain in relationship with him at the very end of John chapter 15, starting in verse 26. Jesus says, I will send the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. He says, I will send the advocate, the spirit of truth. That's not actually the first time Jesus mentioned this advocate. In fact, he comes back to that promise over and over again throughout these four chapters. And the word advocate here actually means one who comes alongside. Other translations use the word comforter, encourager, counselor, and friend. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and promising that the Holy Spirit will be the friend who comes alongside the disciples and all of humanity after Jesus is gone. The Holy Spirit is the way for us to remain, to stay close in relationship with Jesus. But who is the Holy Spirit? 
It's a good question. I'm glad you asked me that. I'm going to answer that now. Before we actually answer it, we need to talk about God as a whole. Because the truth is that God exists in three persons. A community that we call the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all one God. And they are also distinct. The way that we relate to them and experience them often looks different. And if you find that confusing, you're absolutely right. It's 100% confusing. The truth is that God exists beyond our understanding. So how God can exist in three distinct persons while still being just one God, is it something we'll ever be able to fully understand, no matter how much information we have or how many metaphors we use? And speaking as a person who really loves to understand things, this drives me insane. But here's the thing. God doesn't ask us to know everything about him. God invites us to know him. We were created for a relationship with God. So this means that our understanding of how the Trinity works is valuable, but only to the degree that it helps us deepen our relationship with God. So here's just one way of thinking about our one God in three persons that has helped me. The Trinity is God the Father over us. This is God who came, sorry, this is the creator of the universe who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. And also, God the Son beside us. This is God who came to earth in the form of Jesus to be with us, to live a human life, and to make a way for all people to have a personal relationship with God. And also, God the Holy Spirit within us. This is God who continues to be with us, living inside of us every day here and now. So the Holy Spirit is not like some weird force or a ghost, but a person. The Holy Spirit is God. In all of God's unmatched power and unlimited knowledge and unconditional love, and the Holy Spirit is living inside you and me, right here, right now. It feels kind of impossible to even comprehend the weight of that truth, what it means that God himself would choose to be that close to us. But there's this image of the Holy Spirit in Scripture that's been really helpful for me to begin to understand, and it's actually at the very beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Okay, I'm kind of a nerd, so we're going to do a little bit of a word study here. So those words, formless and empty, they're just one way to translate a really interesting Hebrew phrase, tohu vavohu, which means chaos and confusion. And are you ready for this? It means that which is in the process of becoming. Tohu vavohu encompasses our experience of the world when it's not yet the way that it should be. And that might be a new phrase for us, but we all know what tohu vavohu feels like, don't we? We see it in the world all around us and also in ourselves. Like when war tears apart cities and fractures families, and when injustice continues to hold power in this world, and when parents have to wonder if their kids will safely make it home from school, that's tohu vavohu. That's not what it should be. 
And when your mind is flooded with anxiety about your finances or your health or your loved ones, or when we grieve the loss of someone we love because of an illness or a tragedy or a broken relationship, y'all, that's tohu vavohu. That's not the way it should be. But the author of Genesis says that the Holy Spirit hovers in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion. The Holy Spirit is down in the midst of everything that is not what it should be. And that Hebrew word for hovering, it translates to brooding, like how a bird broods over her nest, remaining close, actively helping her children in the process of becoming what they're meant to be. So even then, at the beginning of creation, the role of the Holy Spirit was to remain with us, to remain down in the midst of our chaos and confusion, bringing peace and clarity, little by little piecing us together into who we are meant to be. So fast forward billions of years, and Jesus, who was God on earth, is speaking to his friends in the midst of their own tohu vavohu, their own chaos and confusion. And Jesus promises to send this very same Holy Spirit to continue to be God on earth, God with us, when Jesus is gone. To be the power and the presence of God living inside us, just like Jesus had been the power and the presence of God living beside us. And that promise is still true. So who is Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is God with you. God who comes alongside and remains close to you in every moment. Holy Spirit is your comforter, your encourager, your teacher, your healer, and your friend. And Holy Spirit's not just present, but also active speaking to you, helping you in your process of becoming the person you're meant to be. The truth is that this Christian life of remaining in Jesus is not about following a list of rules or checking off boxes or living out a set of perfect moral principles. Y'all, it's not even about believing all the right things. Remaining in Jesus is about relationship. It has always been about relationship. And for us, that looks like a friendship with the Holy Spirit, who is God on earth, God with us, the one sent by Jesus to perfectly represent Jesus, to perfectly reflect the kindness and the power and the presence of God to us and through us to this broken world that God loves. And just like God's unconditional love, Holy Spirit's presence with us is a constant gift. It is a constant gift. We couldn't earn it or achieve it if we tried, and there's nothing we could ever do to take it away. So on our very best days, our victories, our mountaintop moments, the Holy Spirit's right there with us, celebrating with us. And on our worst days, when grief or anxiety is overwhelming, or when shame and guilt make us want to run and hide, Holy Spirit is right there with us, close in the chaos, bringing healing and peace with more love and kindness and mercy than we could ever imagine. And all those days in between, 
the beautiful moments, the hard moments, and the moments where, if we're honest, they just don't seem to matter at all. Holy Spirit is a constant and caring and wise friend in that room in our minds, walking with us, reminding us of God's incredible love for us and teaching us little by little what it looks like to remain in God like God remains in us. The constant and never-changing presence and friendship of the Holy Spirit is a free gift. And in this friendship, we are invited to play a role. Our role in this friendship is to notice the Holy Spirit, communicate with the Holy Spirit, and respond to the Holy Spirit. Notice, communicate, and respond. When you think about it, it's actually kind of simple. We actually do that in all of our friendships. But just like all of our friendships, it takes a little bit of practice. So when we practice noticing the Holy Spirit, we become aware and we acknowledge Holy Spirit's presence with us. We realize in the midst of these one-sided, repetitive conversations we have in our minds that the room is not empty. We're not alone. And we can do this in many different ways. There's a song we sometimes sing here on Sunday mornings called Holy Spirit Come. And every time we sing those words, we're actually not asking Holy Spirit to show up. He's already here, alive and working inside each and every one of us. When we sing Holy Spirit Come, we're asking for awareness. We're asking for help to notice the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a Sunday practice. Last week, Brian shared about the daily examine. And there are some cards out there uh, at the Welcome Center. You can pick them up if you haven't gotten one yet. This is a great way for us to pause every day and practice noticing where and how the Holy Spirit has been with us. And it's also a practice for every single moment. Many years ago, I had a conversation with a big house student on a Wednesday night who was really struggling with depression and anxiety. And that night, he was actually afraid to leave the church because he was going to go home and be by himself. So we talked for a while, and we prayed together, and he went home that night with a handwritten note, hastily scrawled, that just said, God is with me right now. Excuse my handwriting. That note was there to help him notice that he wasn't alone. And he kept that note. And eventually he got a tattoo of those words as a daily reminder to notice the Holy Spirit with him, even when he's struggling. Okay, so maybe a tattoo is not your thing. It's okay. But you could put a note in your bathroom mirror or in your car. You could set a daily reminder on your phone. Or you could set aside some time to go for a quiet walk just to practice noticing the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. And once we notice the Holy Spirit, we can communicate with the Holy Spirit. In a book called Practicing His Presence, Frank Laubach talks about communicating with the Holy Spirit this way. He says, all thought employs silent words and is really a conversation with your inner self. Instead of talking to yourself, form the habit of talking to Christ, making all thought a conversation with the Lord. Frank Laubach is actually encouraging us to follow the Apostle Paul's advice when he says to pray without ceasing and don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. We make this out to be a super difficult spiritual practice, but God has made it simple for us. In fact, hear me say this, this is important. When we communicate with Holy Spirit, we don't have to change our thoughts. 
We don't have to change our thoughts to become somehow good enough or right enough to talk to God. God's not interested in our performance. God wants a relationship. Instead, when we communicate with Holy Spirit, we are simply directing our real, honest, unfiltered thoughts to the one who is already there with us and already understands us perfectly. A few weeks ago, I found myself in a bit of a debate with my four-year-old about whether or not he needed to go potty. I know, real high point in my parenting career. By the way, if you ever want to win an argument, might I advise against arguing with a four-year-old? They have their own logic and you will never understand it and they will not bow to your logic and they can be brutally honest. So we're having this argument and he's like still doing the potty dance and we're both starting to heat up when he says something to me that just puts me over the edge. I don't even remember what he said, but I remember it triggered me. And I was hit with this anger that I was not expecting. Luckily, Daniel Tiger sang a song to me that morning that says, when you're feeling frustrated, take a step back and ask for help. I'll never forget, it's a great melody. So I took a step back and I asked my wife Alex for help in the form of a quick tap out and I immediately went downstairs, absolutely seething with anger and also guilt and shame because I let my four-year-old make me angry, which then made me angry at myself. And in the midst of all of this chaos, I kept having this thought. Why am I so angry? My kid has to pee. Why am I so angry? This is funny to me now, but in the moment, I felt so defeated. And by the absolute kindness of God, I happened to remember this practice of directing our thoughts to the Holy Spirit. So I repeated that thought. This time, not just to myself. I actually said it out loud. I said, Holy Spirit, why am I so angry? And in that moment, I remembered this time when I was a kid, arguing with my dad. And in that argument, I remembered saying something really hurtful and then feeling absolutely terrible about it. And when I had that memory, this chaotic storm of anger and guilt and shame in that room in my mind started to slow down a little bit and then dissipate. And it was replaced by a number of thoughts and feelings. First of all, amazement that my parents were able to deal with me as a kid because I was kind of a lot. Also, compassion and understanding for my hilarious child who would much rather keep playing with Legos than go to the bathroom. Forgiveness for myself because getting angry doesn't make me a terrible dad, just a human being in the process of becoming who I'm meant to be. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit met me that day, not with a crazy voice from heaven or like a sign, but with healing and peace. What if we all did this just a little more often with some of our negative, repetitive thoughts? Thoughts like, I'm overwhelmed, become, Holy Spirit, I'm overwhelmed. Thoughts like, I don't know what to do, become Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. And yes, even thoughts like, this person is a fill-in-the-blank, become Holy Spirit, this person is a fill-in-the-blank. Real, honest, unfiltered. We are invited to communicate every thought without shame. And then we have the opportunity to listen and find that Holy Spirit is ready to meet us right in the midst of our chaos and confusion with kindness and healing and wisdom and real peace.
And when we communicate with the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. I, I believe this is what Jesus is saying to us in John 15, 27, when he says, you also must testify. We don't testify about Jesus just with our words, but actually with our lives. So our response could be an action, like having an important conversation or seeking some help with a struggle we've been having or reaching out in love and compassion to another person. A young adult shared with me a few weeks ago that he kept thinking about this friend he hadn't seen in several years. And his response to that nudge from the Holy Spirit was to send a quick text, just to say, hey, how's it going? I've been thinking about you. And maybe our response to the Holy Spirit looks a little bit more like a thank you or a little bit more trust or hope or surrender that helps us continue to become the people we're meant to be. My response after the great potty debate of 2023 looked like going back upstairs, finding my son, who Alex had magically convinced to use the bathroom, by the way, and playing with Legos, because apparently that's what love looks like for my four-year-old right now. Whatever it looks like, when we respond to the Holy Spirit, we are allowing the goodness of God to be reflected to us and also through us. Notice, communicate, respond. That's what a friendship with the Holy Spirit can look like. And it is the way that Jesus gave us to remain in him. Remember, Jesus never gives us an instruction without also promising a way. But it's up to us to choose that way. It's easy to miss. But the truth is that because of this free gift given to us by Jesus, none of us are alone in our minds. We spend every single moment of our lives in the presence of God because the Holy Spirit remains with us, even in the midst of our own chaos and confusion. And the Holy Spirit's inviting us into an everyday friendship where we can notice that we are not alone. We can actually communicate by directing our real honest thoughts to him, and we can respond by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, bringing healing and peace to us and the people in our lives and to this entire broken and beautiful world. All of creation is still in this process of becoming what it's meant to be. We have to remember, even in the midst of your process, whatever it looks like, in that room in your mind, you are not alone. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you are here. And not just here in this room, not just here in our living rooms, Holy Spirit, you live inside each and every one of us. And this morning, we are just asking that you would help us to notice you. You'd help us to notice and, and maybe even picture what it looks like in our minds, what it might look like for us to not be by ourselves. Help us picture you with us, wise and kind and caring and so constant. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to communicate with you more honestly and to respond to you? Because what this world needs is a people of hope, a people who are continuously being healed, a people who receive your peace that surpasses understanding. Would you help us to be those people simply by engaging with you every day? And now as we worship together, would you help us to really notice you Holy Spirit, you are good. 
You are kind and you are here. Thank you for who you are. Amen.